1: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron
0: on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show.
1: You know, technically this is still our honeymoon, Barb. We should be on a beach. Honeymooning. Who needs a tropical island when you've got a waste disposal facility to infiltrate? I'm cracking up here. Sorry. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the Drake. This is George Perez at Cincinnati Comic (laughs) Expo,
0: and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes.
1: Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake. (laughs) Hi, this is Marcus Toe, artist for Red Robin. You've been listening to Robin, everyone loves the Drake podcast. Good for them! Love the Drake! You got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello everyone, welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 126. I just like now that I can say 100 and something like, hey, I'm at the 100 mark. So anyway, this show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin, of course, whom is celebrating 80 years this year, and this is the end of the 80-year celebration. So I made it. I was able to do every other episode. So Terrence and Ryan, I did it. Neener, neener. Anyway, <laughs> so for all of your podcast needs, you can go to the net for a whole slew of podcasts and other essays and things that TBU has to offer. We're also associated with Batman on Film's Podcast Network at Batman Podcast Network.com. So between the BatmanUniverse dot net and Batman on Film you can find our show. Speaking of finding us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can email into the show at Robin ELTD Podcast. I always say that's old school because people just don't send emails anymore. We also have a YouTube page and the blog spot that I'm trying to get off the ground that is sorely needing updated is active, but you can go to everyonelovestedrake.blogspot.com. So like I said, I'm Rob and this concludes the end of our special guest portion. We have one more 80th episode, but that'll be Terrence and Ryan and I, and that'll be our Christmas episode and more on that to come in a couple weeks. Our special guest is no stranger to the Batman universe. I think, actually, she's probably the first lady of TBU, if, if I may. She has been with TBU almost since its inception. She released her first episode of her widely popular TBU cornerstone show, Batgirl to Oracle, on December 11th, 2009. So as of this recording being Thursday, December 10th, tomorrow, December 11th, will be her 11-year anniversary on TBU. She released episode 199 of the show on November 20th. She has interviewed with the likes of Chuck Dixon, Scott Beatty, Brian Keel Miller, Marguerite Scott, just to name a few. She is also one of the original hosts for the TBU comic cast, and she has also another podcast with Tom Panarese called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. She is spoken at the Bowling Green State University In the lovely state of Ohio for the Batman conference last year, if you can believe that, on April 12th and 13th of 2019. I had the privilege of meeting her in person at the conference as the Drake was also speaking there as well. And I'd be lying if I was saying I was a little bit intimidated of meeting uh, someone like her in person that is such a brilliant speaker. And hearing her panel, I was just like, wow, that was (laughs) amazing. From her banter with irredeemable shag, the inquisitive nature with Michael Bailey, her infectious laughter with Donovan and Josh. Seriously, any show on Back Go to Oracle, if those two are on, it's usually full of much laughter. Please give a warm welcome to the Professor Allen-approved Stella Bowman. <laughs> How are him, you doing tonight?
0: <laughs> Man, I should get you to do all of my intros with all of that. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for inviting me onto the show.
1: Well, this is something that's been at least long overdue for for our show. Podcasters were always great with having ideas and saying, oh, when I get to this part, I want to have so-and-so on for a first appearance. And going through, I forget where we were, where were at chronologically, we just got out of Contagion. And once Tim starts meeting Oracle for the first time, I was like, oh, that's cool. Oh, crap. I wanted to have Stella on the show for, <laughs> for that. So... I was able to turn this into an 80th anniversary special. So thanks for coming on to the show. And as I was writing all that up, I was figuring that up. And I was like, that is just really kind of cool synergy that we had these little starts and stops of like, okay, we were trying to put this together. That it almost coincides with your 11-year anniversary on TBU. So before I ask you anything, the big thing is I... I know that you've got a 200th episode coming up, but 11 years on TBU, being probably one of the oldest podcasts, I would assume, or or close to it, has 11 years just kind of like snapped and, you know, here we are in 2020.
0: It seems that way. I mean, when I think back that I've logged those years and hours, as you know, editing and, and recording, because editing takes, for me anyways, twice as long as the original oh. recording.
1: Yeah, if we record <laughs> for two hours, I'm editing for four. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. It, it does seem like a snap now. Like, I just think back to the stories, and sometimes it drags depending on what the era is like. Like, mm-hmm. this current, you know, going through COVID, which was awful in itself, was made almost almost unbearable just by the storytelling that was going on surrounding Barbara. So sometimes it it slows down, but it does seem like, wow, you know, just yesterday I was tackling some Bronze Age stories, but now I'm in 2001. I'm leading up to Bruce Wayne Murderer. So it's just kind of crazy how, yeah, it's, whoo. So even looking back and some of these stories that we're going to talk about, especially the two that I'm going to recap, it was just like, wow, look at you know how much time has flown, and and I had to look through my show notes, and one of them was episode 17 that I saw the show notes for, and I thought, my gosh, it was so long ago. But it does, it does. And you said that you're happy that you've made it to 126, and I have to say, it's just getting over that hurdle of 100, yeah. And then afterwards, the episodes just come spinning out. So just be prepared; you're going to be hitting your 200th soon, sir.
1: I I remember hitting, like I said this on our our show initially, when we hit 10 episodes, I was like, oh my gosh, 10 episodes. And I was thinking, if all I wanted to do was do Batman Year 3 and A Lonely Place of Dying, I thought, okay, that was about 10 episodes. And if nobody's really listening, at least I got to do this podcast thing. And then we hit 50. We had Chuck Dixon on for episode 51. And I'm like, okay, that's the capra of the show. I'm not going to get any do any more than that. And then, like you said, when you hit that hurdle of 100 like okay that's that's only 50 more but once like you said you get to that point it's like it's a 126 you know it's just really cool but to not only do that once but to do it twice like Was there a moment when you hit, like, 150? You're like, oh, my gosh, you know, if I continue to do this a little more, I'm going to hit 200? Or did 200 just zip by before you were like, oh, crap, I'm coming up on 200?
0: Yeah, I think 200 hit me sooner than I thought it would, which is shocking when you're, like, staring at these episode numbers each month Mm -hmm. and you're working on them. But 100, I think I was astounded that I made it, and that was just it was a lot of work, I felt like. And then building up to it just seemed like they they came quickly and then no man's land was a slog just because there's so mm. much to get through and i don't want to make it cuz no man's land is amazing i loved it but just oh, that yeah. production was really <laughs> difficult and you're going to rem- be coming up on that soon too <laughs> i remember
1: uh- listening to your no man's coverage <laughs> and going how is stella cuz like we navigated through uh nightfall like we're just going to follow what tim is doing and i thought i wonder how stella's gonna you know navigate this and i was like oh, good Lord, she's she's going yeah. for the lion's I share of all. it, so yeah. my, my hat was off to you, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> she set the standard.
0: <laughs> no, I, it was just my own take. I felt like I really needed mm. to do everything, because Babs, you know, in the original novel that Greg Rucka wrote, she mm-hmm. was, of course, the, the mouthpiece yeah. for the whole thing, the narrator. So that, and, and I had some fatigue, too, but really, yeah, things kept, they just come really quickly, so 200 was coming really quickly, and I got myself into a bit of a pickle just with where I was and what I wanted to do so mm. I had to do some clever finagling and have you know a YouTube only episode and things like that but now I feel like a, a breath of relief like okay it's I'm currently in the editing process which you know people are going to make fun of me but they always do I mean it's going to be an 8 hour episode <laughs> but it'll last you all month long people <laughs> so hard. so that'll be good but yeah it just uh they come quickly I don't know why why that mm. seems to happen but yeah after you hit a uh one moment, uh, which I guess was 100. I don't know. They just mm. kept coming coming pretty fast.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get to the moment at hand, the 80th anniversary of Robin. I couldn't, and this is not just lip service. I couldn't think of a, a better guest to have to kind of cap uh, the end of the 80th anniversary special. and And somebody that I was kind of curious of like, oh, I'm sure somebody's going to pick this version of of Robin to talk about. So, the first question I want to ask, who is your favorite Robin, and why? (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs) laughing.
0: No, you go ahead.
1: What were you going to say? No, I was like, okay, on the Drake show, this is where people's finger are on the the on button or on the off button of like, oh, okay. who, Who are you going to say? So, anyway.
0: Yeah, so if your ratings dip or your downloads <laughs> yeah. dip this this episode, I apologize.
1: It's me. Yeah. So,
0: anyone who knows me, and this might be the only time that you'll hear my voice, but if you know me on any social media or any podcasts, I am sort of the queen of counter-opinions or Mm. unpopular opinions. And I don't do it on purpose, like, to just get people's goats, but I actually like things like Batman and Robin. I feel like that is the best Batman film there is. And (laughs) so, of course, my favorite Robin happens to be Damian Wayne.
1: (laughs) Which, that would not have been, like, I I wasn't surprised that you picked it, but... When you uh, when we get to what we're gonna talk about, but I would have clearly thought you were gonna go another direction and we'll get there when we get there but uh what yeah. so what what is it about Damien for you Whew. going from Dick Grayson to Damien Wayne? how did the pendulum land towards Damien?
0: yeah and and I guess I would have said. Leading up to, you know, a certain point that Dick probably would have been my favorite Robin just because the majority of my experience had been with him, even though I think I probably prefer him as Nightwing anyways. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I knew of Tim, but when I started really heavily getting into comics month to month, it was really with, you know, Batman R.I.P. was was starting and, mm-hmm. and he was Red Robin, so I didn't really have that experience and initially and this is gonna sound weird like you're just gonna to have to roll with me listeners and <laughs> Rob. but initially I did not like Damien and I think that's true mm. of a lot of people he is Gitto. a character that is difficult to love he's difficult to like period and I was even looking at my show notes way back when you know number 17 and some of my notes were saying "My like, gosh well this is a terrible issue because Damien's in it but at least Brian Q. Miller does a great job of mm. writing and so to think back of like I didn't like him then and he grew on me like he's still annoying to a certain extent but he's one of those that I enjoy being annoyed by him kind of like ahsoka i think people did not like ahsoka when she started off in clone right. wars but they grew to like her and so for me it's just like repeated it's almost like inoculation like more damien <laughs> gets me to love him more yeah and what it is about him and that's why i chose these four issues that we're going to cover i love how he interacts with other people yes. damien on his own i think is unappetizing i think having a damien solo book I don't know that I would necessarily enjoy that just like because then you would really get annoyed. I think I, I wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. take that. It's just his inner monologue, not having anyone to play off of. But it's the interactions with Dick Grayson, with his father, with Stephanie Brown and other people we'll see with, with Gotham Academy, of course, that just make him really fun because they don't they either don't take him seriously or. Or um, they sort of put, put him down to size, you know, if he's trying to be too big for his britches. And he grows. He's not a stagnant character. So, yeah, he does continue. I mean, he's a kid, so he does retain that youthfulness and that youthful annoyance factor. But any of the, like, especially the series that I picked with the exception of Gotham Academy, if you were to start reading where he was appearing and then continue on, you would see such an amazing arc for him especially mm-hmm. the new 52 one of the few th- good things that came out of new 52 is batman and robin and yeah. so just for him his di- his dynamic character how he plays off of people and yeah just him being an annoying kid at certain times that was raised to be an assassin so going to a moon bounce is like superbly absurd <laughs> to see him right. in there that's just one of the reasons why i really enjoy him and i love to see him as robin
1: so in this day and age, is it important to still have Batman and Robin together or have they outlived their usefulness and can exist on their own and not really like, do we need a Batman and Robin book mm-hmm. or is in and out pretty much what they are now?
0: It's a really good question. I think we do need a Batman and Robin book. I think that it shouldn't be the only book. I think that they can stand on their own. I think that Batman, you know, Batman and Catwoman can have their own book, mm-hmm. or Robin can have his own book. But it's just, for me, you know, a, quint- a quintessential team that should, no matter the era, exist. And for the most part, I think, just like Batgirl is, Robin is a lighter aspect to the Batman character. Now, this is, of course, different because Damien doesn't necessarily fill that role, but I just feel like it's an interesting dynamic because they are not the same. If there were just two characters that were the you know copy and paste that would be super boring but it's the fact that they are they contrast each other and to a certain extent they they complement each other and i i feel like yes and maybe mostly because batman needs that in his life I think he just needs someone there with him to pull him down to earth, which, You know, which is something that Tim Drake, one of the amazing things about him, of course, is that he's just trying to snap Batman out of his right. funk during uh, the nightfall situation. So I, I feel like, yes, we, we always do need to have a Batman and Robin team, but I think they do have the opportunity and uh, the power to have their own books or other team-ups as well.
1: So this may have been answered, but the last question of the 80, 80 years would be, why has Robin lasted 80 years from 1940 to 2020? How is Robin still popular in his his or her various forms?
0: I think that readers can relate more to Robin than they necessarily can to Batman. And Batman certainly has his moments but for me personally, it's, it's hard to sometimes get what he's thinking. I mean, there have been so many times, if anyone's listened to my episode, I'm just like, Batman, what are you doing? <laughs> Most likely when it's involving Huntress, because I, I am somewhat of a Huntress apologist. But yeah, I, I think it's someone that we can have fun with. And overall, the storytelling, I think, is lighter. And I could potentially see myself more as a Robin than I could as a Batman. Whereas Batman, you're not really going to have fun stories unless you're reading uh, Derek Friedolf's and uh, Dustin Nguyen's Mm -hmm. Little Gotham, which I love.
1: I love that book.
0: But they're heavier storylines. And, of course, he's brooding. And you're like, oh, man, I just can't get into this headspace necessarily. So I think it's... Very much, yeah, I can find myself being a Robin more so than I can be a Batman, and that's why maybe people gravitate towards that character more. Which I which then, you know, I'm just surprised about Stephanie more. Did anyone come on and talk about Stephanie?
1: No. Uh, we, oh, have not had, we have not had anybody on talk like she had been mentioned in more like in passing like this. Okay. But I, I was really certain it had usually landed between Dick and Tim. Uh, we <laughs> had a Jason. Episode, but this was uh, the first, like, full-on Damien mention. So uh, (laughs) Stephanie has really gotten no love other than uh, stories that were, you know, Robin, you know, 22 or whatever, where Stephanie and Tim were were doing something together.
0: Yeah, and she'll pop up in this one as well. And, I mean, I, I would like to have been inside... I guess the editor's office is just when that whole Stephanie as Robin went down because it was so short. You know, it's like you blink and you miss it. And I feel like that one, she's like absolutely someone I could be. And, and so that yeah. that's that's a bit of a disappointment. But um, I feel like her... I mean, the other counter-opinion here and things that shock people when I say it is that Stephanie Brown is actually my favorite Batgirl. Oh, yeah. So I'm okay that she didn't survive her tenure as... <laughs> as or didn't pass, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So just the relatability, I think, is the reason why he's lasted so long.
1: Well, I would be remiss having you on the show if I don't finagle a little shipper spotlight so please so two people that you know there's always a you know i'm not trying to start something between tom and Don or anybody else they're listening (laughs) but a dick and babs or a dick and cory camp that's not my discussion between batman eternal and batman three jokers they Mm -hmm. strongly hinted at a babs and jason Relationship and Batman Eternal, I believe you probably read that there was a little moment that they kind of had there, which that never dawned on me and then Jeff Johns firmly placed that idea of the two of them together, and the you know the the note that Jason pins on the door you know if you you know, if you reply to this, we'll you know paraphrasing we'll do something if if not then i'll I'll let it go, and i'll never say it, and the note falls to the floor, and I was like, oh my gosh, he'll never know, and he'll think so. do you have uh, I'm getting all emotional now uh, do you have oh. an opinion or like no we we don't need to go there um, <laughs> I'm just kind of curious having the yeah the so I wrong.
0: will at least say that I haven't read three jokers though oh my gosh, people. I just ruined it then no no, I did know what. I, I knew. So you did not spoil it. So it's okay. fine. And I think I might do it in a future. I don't know if it's 201 or not. I'm kind of burned out on Joker. but <laughs> oh, And know. that was one of the reasons why I just was like, oh, man, I don't like the Joker. Do I really have to read this? But everyone's telling me like, oh, Babs is pretty good characterization yeah. in there. And then there's like something else that I'd love to hear your opinion on. So I at least knew that it was her and Jason. So I can't comment on that one. But I will say that in Eternal, because I did read that I was still – on uh, the batman universe comic podcast Mm -hmm. when that was coming out it's an unlikely pairing and it wouldn't be my number one but the way that it was written was actually really well done because Babs was kind of losing her stuff at that point Mm -hmm. and jason was very much pulling her back from the edge almost like he was the dick grayson to her oracle yeah and Just the way that it was written, and I felt like they were meeting each other in a way that they had never met each other before, as equals and just like on a different level. I felt like this could possibly turn out to be something. I don't think it would be long-lasting, but I would have been okay with uh, potentially shipping it.
1: So I do have one more ship for Babs. So, two words, Arkham Knight tim drake oh, 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 and yeah. barbara drake so mm-hmm. i knew that through everybody for a loop being the tim drake guy i was like yay tim gets the girl because there's no stephanie brown did i was like it's an alternate universe we can do different things but that really was one of those that people were like i felt dirty like tim is so <laughs> young and he shouldn't be you know so being that you know the tim guy i had to ask you know sure them being married by the end of Arkham Knight, how did that set well with uh, Batgirl to Oracle?
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, a game that I did not play, and it was more of a a personal objection just because Mm. I knew that there was some killing joke stuff going on in there. You kind of like play through. And I thought, I just don't need to, I don't need this in my life. So, but I did, of course, I did know about the, the Tim and Babs shipping and I am one of those people that tries to separate my, I guess current continuity of what we're used to, Prime Earth continuity. Mm. I don't know. With other things like Birds of Prey, the film. I actually enjoyed the film. Here's another counter opinion because I, I, did too. I was okay. Thank you. I did. Be- yes, I, because I was able to separate from you know the yeah. standard Birds of Prey. I was like, this is just something else. I'm going to have fun, and I did.
1: I've got my comics that I absolutely love, and oh, it's not the comics, but I walked out going, I had a good time with the film, so I I didn't get the the issue so yeah yeah i'm with you
0: I, well, i'm so glad we can join a club for sure
1: <laughs> that's right membership
0: so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> i i have a hard time shipping this one i think i would have yeah. to experience it to see how it developed because right now just as this idea of barbara and tim getting together i do feel a little weird i don't know if i necessarily feel dirty it's just that i'm thinking about their comics yeah Counterparts, and you're—I I, think—just starting off, right? With with these two interacting, and yeah, it's but- so great their relationship because it's different than a relationship which she has with any anyone else because they're very much intellectual equals, mm-hmm. and they can geek out over text stuff and things like that and, and there was a really great scene where he actually hugs her when she's crying during Joker last laugh. And so to see that like morph into romance is really hard for me to imagine in my mind's eye without seen scenes and, and how that developed in the game so i would say no from the outside but it's gotcha. a bit unfair to say no without experience in it
1: yeah i mean it, it's one of those i mean that's spoiling, it's been out for a long time it's mm-hmm. as you're playing the game you get to a point where there's a conversation between you know bruce is you know trying to keep everybody off you know i, I gotta do this by myself blah 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 and barbara's pleading the case like you need to let tim do this and you're kind of like Well, wow, she's talking a little bit more you know in a different way and then you get the the calm conversation between the two of them and uh you're like oh I think they're dating and you just kind of find out and then by mm-hmm. the latter part of the game you know it's you're fully made aware that there's there's going to be a wedding later on
0: What's the age difference in the game?
1: The age difference is probably a year. So oh. Tim Drake in this is much older. He's not 16, he's probably okay. he's probably pushing 18 1819 and Barbara is probably right around 2021 20, somewhere okay somewhere yeah around so
0: there. that's that's not bad because I was thinking like even if it's six or seven years I am not gonna be the one to <laughs> be a hypocrite because of course you know when they initially were around way back when in pre-crisis there was that age gap and and that whole yeah kerfuffle over the kiss and everything in Batman family with uh Dick and Bab. so you know, age differences, unless it's absurd, I th- I think I could can yeah. get over if I may. No, I don't want st- to. This is your show, of course. No, no, go but for it. Do you have any thoughts on the upcoming? Is it called Arkham Knights video game?
1: Yeah. So I had listened to I think you and Carolyn was am I saying that right? We're, yeah, we're yep. talking a- about that on a previous episode, and I'm I'm intrigued. I'm like more aesthetically like. I like Barbara's costume. I really don't like Tim's at, mm. at, at all, really. Now there looks like there's another in game costume that looks like it may be like a gear system, maybe, almost like in Justice Two that you can kind of augment the costumes yeah. a little bit. So I'm I'm sometimes more of a, a comic snob, like give me a DLC where I can have <laughs> Tim Drake in his nineties costume yeah. and different variations. But that that being all set aside i'm i'm anxious for the game i think the gameplay from what we've been shown looks fun um uh, barbara's interaction looks really kind of cool trying to figure out there was some there was a line that you had read from her bio and it's been a little bit that when i first read that too i was like mm, i don't know if i
0: oh that she like physically Physi- overcame yeah, physically the over- killing that- joke bullet yeah. yeah
1: and i was like nah, I, I don't <laughs> i don't know if i i would almost rather them like even not have acknowledged that the killing joke. like here's just your core characters. And you can just build your universe around it. Or you do the new 52 nano technology, whatever mumbo yeah. jumbo that was yeah. and, and go about it rather than, you know, sh- she lifted weights every day and eventually she just got stronger <laughs> and st- got up out of the chair. I'm like, sure. I, yeah. I don't know, but uh, aesthetically from everything else, I like what I've seen so far and I'm, um, uh, I, it'll be a, a pre-order you know right from day one because you know. oh
0: okay yeah I'm still waiting to see a bit more yeah but unless- i yeah it's just exciting to see Babs in a video game and that I could control her for the whole game instead of just like a portion when you have to be right. in the library or something so <laughs> I'm excited about that
1: Yeah, I think that'll be really cool. And that it gives you a feeling that you could play the game four times and play it from Jason's point of view and and Dick or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I I still don't buy that Batman's dead. Nah, I think we're going to find out midway through that he's alive and had been captured by the the quarterback. Yeah, that's that's my takeaway from it. But that it's a led, quote unquote, Batman game and it is Dick, Tim, Babs and Jason. So Mm -hmm. that's got me being a... a a Batman Universe fan and go, okay, you're marketing this game for the extended Bat family as opposed to Batman. So, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good moment. We're going to take a promo break and I'll probably just find some shag promo to throw in here. (laughs) No, of course, we're going to have a couple promos from our featured guest and when we come back, uh, we're going to find out what books Stella picked and we will see you guys on the other side. Three, two, one, Drake. Drake. Tim, where are you? Got your call. What's this about?
0: Joker's got my father.
1: Don't worry, Barb. We have got this. He's going to be all right.
0: How can you be so
1: sure? Well, for one, Robin's a good luck.
0: Sawate. my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time roughly 1967-1988. The goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Backroll and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Bat in TV and film. Shipperspawley, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't. And of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his back Backroll run. Wayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at the BatmanUniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at batgirl to oracle Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Adolescents, this generation have no respect, and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was. Stella. Ross. And and you know what, men too. Well.
1: Uh, uh, Stella.
0: Serious men like the tragic Mister Rochester and teachers, pa. They're all like the villainous Mister Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas.
1: As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, we have a promo to record.
0: Oh, dear. And what might that be?
1: That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon.
0: Oh, dear, that sounds delightful.
1: Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com.
0: Oh, yes. Required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom?
1: It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at TrueFreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job.
0: Oh, you are so welcome. I thought you said Robins were good luck.
1: He missed, didn't he? That girl! We'll scoop him out later. He hurt my dad, Tim. Call in air support in the Coast Guard. Put out an APB on Joker. Your dad's safe now. That's all that matters. You two okay? We're good, Commissioner. Saved many lives tonight, including my own. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: You sure you're okay, Batgirl?
1: Alright, we're back. So there was a couple of Stella's promos. Definitely go check them out. I feel like with required reading that I almost have to listen to it like as an audiobook because I want (laughs) to go, alright, I want to read the book before I listen to the show and I read so incredibly slow that my backlog just gets so full. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen to what the two of them say <laughs> and then I'll slowly work my way through the book. So, uh, there's Yeah, some... and
0: we've picked some doozies too cuz we've had Vanity Fair was big and Lay Miz was big. Mm-hmm. So, I I get it. I I get it.
1: <laughs> so, for the only edict that I had put out to any of my guests that have come on for the 80th anniversary, I didn't care what the medium was. Could have been a movie, a uh, back of a cereal box or whatever. It just had to include a Robin. And I didn't say only pick one comic or only pick one movie. So what did you pick and why did you pick what you picked?
0: <laughs> yeah. So...
1: <laughs> uh, that was an intelligent question. That may get edited. No, no, just... <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah.
0: So poor Rob. I I threw four books at him. <laughs> and i almost wanted to do like full runs
1: or arcs but then i, I thought, no, that's the first email you said i kind of wanted to go through like <laughs> like the arcs or whatever and i was like holy <laughs> crap <laughs> i'm gonna have a stella that's, show <laughs>
0: yeah i know no it's fine so uh well like i say you know with robin you've got to understand you know yeah. and see him from start to finish so if i picked issue one for two of these you'd be like disgusted at the character but i've tried to pick other ones but it's still hard because i've i've thrown people in there but i have picked and like i said they're kind of all shippers for me mm-hmm. and by shipper because i i like to ship platonically or familiar familially, <laughs> as well go. as romantically so we've got Gotham Academy, number seven, from 2015, because mm-hmm. you've got uh, Damien and Maps
1: mm-hmm.
0: Miyaguchi? Is that what I is? think so. It's been so long.
1: Uh, I- I'm glad you said um, you were going to do Misa the synopsis Gucci. for that one, because I was going to butcher that all day long. <laughs> yeah,
0: no worries. I think I just call her Maps the entire Very time. Good. He's a Gucci. And I've got uh, him and Stephanie Brown in Batgirl Volume Three, Number Seventeen from 2011, and then I have the new 52 version. Well, I, I guess I should say the Batman Reborn version of Batman and Robin and I'm blanking on the uh, the year of that one. And that's going to be issue three, and that'll be Damien and Dick. And yep. then my final one is the New 52 version of Batman and Robin with Bruce and Damien, and that's issue eight? Eight, yes. Yeah. Yep. So those are, so, yeah, a smattering of different books. And the real reason why I chose, well, first of all, I guess the the titles themselves is because I like, like I said at the beginning, I like to see him paired up with people. I think this is the best way to have fun with Damien, tolerate him if it's really hard for you (laughs) or get to know him better and love him a bit, a a bit more. And these particular issues are, well, with Stephanie, that's just a a key issue with them. It's like their first kind of mission. Well, it's, Yeah, it's their first mission together, I would say. It's not like their first meeting meeting. And then the ending is really the reason why I picked it. It's just something I've always gone back to. Gotham Academy is just a lot of fun, and I think you see a different side of Damien than you would normally. I mean, he's a bit of a jerk, but like the smallest amount of jerk
1: of all of these issues.
0: Right. Um, On the jerk
1: scale. It's like he's the yeah. lower in that, but he still rates in the jerk category. <laughs>
0: I'm afraid so, yeah. And then with the Batman Reborn, Batman and Robin, I chose three, which once I read it, I thought, oh, is there a better one? But I felt like it was just a bit along in the arc it was actually the end of the first arc anyways with, with Professor Pig you get to see his caring side that it's not only about the villain but he's trying to help that girl out as well who's been kidnapped and then you have a I would say a begrudging at this point alliance between Dick and Damien, but Mm -hmm. also, like, compared to issue one and two, it's like so much better. Like, already grown in those first three issues. So it's just seeing how they're interacting it and that it's a fun banter. And Dick is just a great individual, anyways, because he's able to play off of people really well and is a great older brother and mentor to people. And with Batman and Robin the New 52, I think that was probably my favorite New 52 book that was coming out by uh, Peter Jason Tomasi. I think that's one of the few good ones that was coming out at New 52 at the time, and it was really hard to read that first arc because it was just father and son battling each other and having a difficult time understanding one another. And then you find out that he betrayed Batman and went to nobody and that actually he didn't. It was it was a whole a whole plot and he was protecting his father. And with eight, which is really at the end of that nobody arc, they come to I think an understanding that we are trying to understand each other and that it's not that we don't dislike each other, I'm your father, you're my son, and I, I think they reach a nice place. Those are the, the ones I would recommend to people, though, with with the New 52 Ron, I, I would tell someone like, you've got to read it from oh. number one to eight, because I just yeah. feel like that really highlighted Damien as a character and his relationship with Bruce. Like, I, I can't say enough how I, I thought that was one of the best books coming out of New 52 at the time.
1: Well, let's get into the first one, being uh, Batman and Robin number three uh, from Mike's Amazing World. The cover date is October two thousand nine, with an on sale date of August twenty sixth, two thousand nine, with cover price of drawing the line at two
0: ninety nine. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: remember those? Remember those ads? I
0: sure do. <laughs> that didn't last long.
1: No, not at all. Not when I'm paying three ninety nine. Three Jokers was like five. <laughs> something Oy. yeah. And yeah. Th- this Knucklehead bought all sixteen variant covers, but and, oh no. But, But uh, but I digress. And my wife looks at me like, oh, you idiot. It's the same book. (laughs) So uh, the editor was Mike Martz. The writer is the Grant Morrison. And uh, the artist is Frank Quitely. The letter is Patrick Boseu, if I'm saying that right. Probably not. The colorist is Alex Sinclair. Cover artist goes to Frank Quitely. And I actually prefer the variant cover to this, the Tony Daniels variant with batman and robin on top of the gargoyles and batman dick grayson's crouched and damien's kind of holding the bat rope down below i think i like that one thematically Mm. a little bit more like we say on this show uh which of the covers would you hang on your wall as a poster it would be the variant cover for this one and uh, now the synopsis for batman and robin number three The title, Mommy Made of Nails. Dick Grayson comes to the horrifying revelation. Professor Pig's brainwashed Dolatron hordes, packing something more menacing than just bombs strapped to their chest. But the horrifying caricatures of Professor Pig's perfection are themselves incubating a terrible cocktail of identity-destroying germs. Pig's real name, Laszlo Valentine has developed a new form of narcotic that threatens the very existence of everyone in Gotham. a powerful mind-wiping aerosol drug that spreads like an addiction like a viral infection making the entire city Valentine's for the taking. More than ever Gotham City needs a Batman and Dick Grayson realizes he is that Batman, and he is willing to do whatever it takes to stop Pig, even if it means dragging Phosphorus Rex's face inches above the pavement as he speeds onto oncoming traffic aboard the Bat Quad. Miles away in a rundown amusement park, Damian Wayne is regaining consciousness as he finds himself in the company of the one and only Professor Pig. Wearing a pig-like mask over his face, the portly, sweaty mess of an artist, begins to display just how far he's gone off his medication. Laszlo, a one-time leader of an extreme circus troupe, puts on a true artist performance for the young lad, revealing little pieces of his shattered psyche in the process. He dances frantically in front of a short barbed wire effigy of his mother. Barbed wire and nails, just about at every inch and angle to form an almost like TP structure. A sad and chipped female mask sits atop of the structure, surrounded by dead roses, like a cracked, deeply disturbed angel above a very sick Christmas tree from hell. The empty eye sockets that peek out over Pig's dance say nothing, yet somehow Pig can sense the disappointment. A mommy made of nails, where every hug is a crucifixion. He tears open his shirt breathlessly, chanting about a goddess-like chaos, whining out of control of his body to a tune that he dances to, That he both adores and hates Throughout his neurotic dance session Finally out of breath and exhausted from his display He mutters to himself I want to be sick, I want to operate I want to be sick in front of everyone And it becomes clear that he is ready to begin his work The Solus Dolatrons close in on Damien With the molten mask ready to affix it to his skull But the young boy is far more industrious than he appears Undoing his restraints He leaps up and takes action And takes down one of the Dolatrons And Professor Pig one by one He attends immediately to Sasha, the young girl who is just now waking up to find her once-beautiful face has been horribly and permanently disfigured by Pig. She cries out for Robin's help in escaping as she lashes out at Professor Pig, igniting his bare chest on fire. Sasha reaches out for help while Pig runs the other way. Damien is left with only one choice, follow Pig. As he jumps into the escaping funhouse cart, he reaches out his hand for Sasha, but the two of their hands never meet pig pulls damien into the out of control cart as it slips and dips out of sight he can only see her at the bottom of the pile of the dollatrons the cart crashes outside where batman has arrived and is waiting to deliver the patented one-two punch to pig's jaw shattering the porcelain mask and sending him reeling damien looks to his left to find that dick is offering him back his robin r patch the boy appearing generally grateful for having his life saved accepts In an attempt to salvage whatever he could from Pig's lab from the fire inside the funhouse, Dick comes across a vial conveniently labeled Cure for one of Pig's concoctions. But it's what's laying next to the vial that has him puzzled. It's a 12-11 domino. It occurs to him that the domino found next to Toad's corpse was 12-12. Could it be some kind of countdown? And if so, to what? Meanwhile, Gordon, who is none too happy to have returned to this evil park, is there to help clean up the mess. But the horror is just beginning. Despite their best efforts, the doctor is unable to peel back the face mask without removing the skin from the skull of the patients. Complicating matters, Sasha breaks out of her medical restraints and begins murdering the other Dolatrons one by one, including her own father. The police go to apprehend her, but they are forever silenced by two loud gunshots. Their faces are obliterated instantly, standing inside the hospital hallway as a smoking red gun, still in the hand of none other than the Red Hood. You need a friend, right? And me? I'm looking for a partner to help me wipe the vomit off the face of Gotham once and for all. All right. So there was a synopsis for Batman and Robin number three. So the Q&A portion here, and then Stella, if you have some questions as well for some of these, we can kind of go through of them. One of the first ones I have here is the carnival used by Professor Pig is the same one. Talk about the killing joke. I'm sorry. is, is this <laughs> is the same carnival that the Joker used in the killing joke. And Gordon states that this should be burned. The ghost train is the same ghost train that Uh, Gordon was on that was being terrorized and tortured by the Joker that Robin and Professor Pig fight from. So uh, through Morrison using this story beat, do you think that we can kind of like maybe glean from it? What might have been going through Gordon's mind? Is this like one of the first opportunities he's coming back here and he Hmm. is coming back here with a Batman that is not. The batman he was once there with before one that he knows but doesn't entirely know did you have any thoughts about him revisiting this area and might this be the first time he's been back
0: i don't i i wonder if it's been the first time that that he's been back i, I feel like it seems like a setting that may have popped up in other cases mm-hmm. not necessarily supervillain cases but perhaps the first time of note, because, you know, Professor Pig is, is a bigger guy. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, that we talk about, and really starting with Gail Simone's New 52 Backroll run, that Barbara Gordon, of course, has PTSD right. from The Killing Joke, which absolutely makes sense. But I don't, have we really ever thought about Jim and what he went through and whether he would have any sort of flashbacks or, or PTSD from that? event also. Um so yeah, I feel like I I think the scene would have been different had it been Bruce in the costume and not Dick, because I I think Dick can probably empathize because of course he's on the other side with um it being in the Bat family and and all that. But he wasn't there and he didn't, you know, actually witness those events. So I feel yeah it's it's almost I don't know like a distanced scene rather mm-hmm. than a, as close and intimate as it could have been, but I feel like it may not have been the first time that Jim went back there, but but certainly poignant to have a crazy man, um <laughs> right, yeah. Whew, with little minions, just like uh, the yeah. little minions that uh, were kind of pushing that train along with and hitting poor naked Jim.
1: Right, and got the Dolatrons and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, yep. Talk about PTSD, like you said, we see that more Ooh. in in Babs, but yeah, I think, and I might be wrong here, but I think normally from Jim, as far as the killing joke goes, it's pretty much the way writers tackle Gordon, he's pretty much done with it and it's just more case-to-case basis and they leave mm. all of the trauma aspects to the barbara gordon character to go through unless it's a conversation between babs and jim these are the books that i've gone through it, i rarely see batman and gordon talk about the events from from that night mm. um one thing we did allude to a little bit speaking of gordon uh, what must he be thinking of the new Batman? Uh, does he remember the last when Dick last appeared as Batman? I was trying to remember if issue one or two has that meeting of like, "Hey, Jim, it's me. We've we've been there before. I'm not the <laughs> the one you remember." But uh, that is something I. Liked and trying to remember throughout this series the moment where Jim goes, okay, this because he doesn't know it's Bruce Wayne, but this is not the Batman I've worked with, but I have worked with this individual before. So I liked that shorthand with Gordon and Dick being we've done this before, but he Dick Grayson's Batman is operating much differently than way Bruce would.
0: Yeah, I think there is a, a scene in either one or two and like the officer, I think next to him because i think there's someone else on the rooftop makes some sort of mention about is that a new robin or whatever yeah and he says no i've seen that one before yeah it's actually it's interesting i guess on two levels one level is that i mean what is jim thinking like is he because he's gone through this before with no man's land and he felt really betrayed that batman wasn't there and yes, we have a Batman, but it's not his BFF. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wonder, like, um, is he upset that once again, Bruce Wayne Batman has gone off and hasn't told him anything? Uh, and then the other thing is, like, recognizing that Dick is, of course, somebody else and going with that. And Dick's body build, I feel like, is different than Bruce's anyways, Yeah. but I, uh, you know, he's a smart individual, and yet he can't tell that his daughter is Barbara Gordon. So that's sort of the thing that gets me with that meaning, like, okay, so you're able to surmise that this is a different Batman, but you can't tell from your daughter's flowing locks (laughs) and huge eye holes in the mask or cowl that your daughter's is
1: Batgirl. So that's
0: always interesting.
1: And even her new Rebirth costume, like, she is barely wearing a mask. Yep. Don't yep. know her. Sorry, that's a discussion for <laughs> another time. So now to the character at hand, Damien. Damien's I think of one of my favorite newer Batman villains, other than going to like to hush or something like that. There's something about Professor Pig that I've I've always kind of liked. I didn't like he's so creepy and grotesque yeah. and all that stuff. But that we get a new foil for the Damien and Grayson version of Batman and Robin. But Damien's interaction with Professor Pig and Sasha, uh this is still a very novice Robin. Damon is Damon doesn't secure Sasha's safety and it comes back to bite both mm-hmm. Dick and about to say Tim, Dick and Damien later on with Jason could this have been avoided and just let Professor Pig go or it is Damien's arrogance getting into the way like, OK, you're fine. Just stay <laughs> there. And if he would have let Pig go, would Sasha have ended up where she did? And it is Damien's mission getting in the way of saving citizens first.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's certainly something that is symptomatic of Damien's character, I do like that he actually does talk to her Mm -hmm. and in his own Damien way comfort her, but he doesn't do the amount that he should do, and... You know, like father, like son. I mean, Batman has had his single mindedness as well, going after the perp mm-hmm. rather than necessarily the victim. But he, he, yeah, he probably should have, or yeah, he probably should have looked after, after the victim and and let pig get away, or or perhaps had there been better communication, you know, known that that Dick would have gotten pig. But he is I mean that is you know, I've been using an A word of annoyance but or annoying, but he is also an arrogant kid. I mean he says he's been raised and trained in the League of Assassins and so he's got this. He's got this, but yeah, he totally messes up as well. And sometimes sometimes that knocks his ego down and I think it makes him more humble. But in this case I think he might not eat his oh he's eating the humble pie, but he's not liking it. Right. But
1: yeah, I think you're right on that. Dick and Damien get to be Robin and Batman, as as,
0: <laughs> yes. as,
1: as Damien puts it. And I want to yeah. go, uh, what is the importance to this version of the dynamic duo? And what does it mean, Dick and Damien's relationship? By the end of this, like they've, the preceding couple issues, Damien's gone off on his own and Dick is trying to figure out this, this whole piece to where they finally get back to the manor and their, or not manor, but the, the mansion that they're going to to get the the next assailant, that they're finally going, okay, we're we're going to work together. It's still kind of an uneasy alliance, probably with Damien, and it's more of an acceptance for Dick. But what does, by the time you get to the end of this run, what does this version of the dynamic duo mean to you?
0: I would say it means brothers. And because normally I think the Batman and Robin dynamic duo is a father and a son, whether it's biological or adopted. And I think for this one, it is certainly brother and brother. Um, And I think Damien needs to come to respect Dick a bit more. (laughs) Because, you know, Damien, because he is the bloodline of Bruce, feels like everything is entitled to him and he has inherited this and that Dick I think doesn't necessarily, even though he has the tenure doesn't really deserve a place on that. But I think we start to see that he recognizes, Oh, this is the reason why my father would want to give the cowl to dick at least for a time you know until Mm. i take
1: it from him (laughs) right but i like how you said that until i take it from him (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) i mean that's probably how it's going to go down and and i think with yeah with with dick he it's like oh man you know i've got this guy i've got to deal with and and some tolerance and just trying to get past it to actually i think genuinely liking him and Becoming a a, a brother to him, which is, I I think, one of the great characteristics about Dick, like I said before. Just I think he's able to really connect well with the other characters, especially the Robins. So I don't know if their relationship is as tight. You'd be able to answer this, really, as Dick and Tim. I don't know if it's as close, but I feel like it gets as close as it can be. And and that's the development of that is what I like and what I enjoy seeing.
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, this all started with Tim and, or Dick telling Tim, like, in the beginning, like, yeah, we were partners, but Tim has grown to the level of equal at this point. Like, you can't be my Robin for the simple fact is where you've graduated to the same plateau that I am, you're Mm -hmm. a man. And this was actually... Like I think I said at the BG conference, us comic book fans have, can rage quit in a moment. Th- <sighs> this was a rage quit moment. And I'm like, no, nope. like once RIP hit, I dropped the books and like I I let it go. Until the new fifty-two hit, then I was like, I kind of got re-energized again. So I was like, well, I better figure out what happened in the past. And then I went back and started reading this, and I was like, oh crap, this was actually really good. And I, I, I missed out on all this. I missed out on the Red Robin series for, for Tim because I became a comic snob or you know or, or whatever. So seeing and I was I hated hated Damien could not stand the character because my Robin was no longer Robin. He had to be this Mm -hmm. red Robin character. And then I fell in love with that version of red Robin. And then Morrison slowly starts peeling back the onion layers of Damien throughout this Batman and Robin run that by the time the new 52 hits, I was like, well, wait, wait, I liked the Grayson and Batman. In my mind, I would have liked to have had a Batman Red Robin series and a Batman and Robin series, a Bruce and Tim and a Dick and Damien book, and those coexist. So this was a book that I look back fondly on, and Frank Quitely's art at the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I like the art, if I love the art, and now it's a book that I look at and go, I think Morrison definitely picked the right artist for these, these first few volumes. Well, the wax I'm reading it in the uh, hardcover trade here, but I did want to talk about the professor pig fight. And just from the art standpoint, from where Damien is tied up, he's not showing any emotion. Really. He's kind of just being that sarcastic little jerk with his one liners that you almost go, all right, just, just cut him, professor pig. And let's end this. <laughs> and then I start getting to a point of like, oh, snap, Damon's going to take this chair and shove it right through his eye hole or something like I could almost see yeah. that. But in the the panel, the couple panels that I really like out of this issue, and I'm glad you picked it, is the moment where he unties himself. And my book says page 61 because it's the heavy trade. It says, you just redefined wrong. Leaps out of the chair, flips the back of the chair over, hits the two Dolatrons behind him, and you got the drill that's being smashed into the one. And Damon, like, it's all just with the onomatopoeias other than Professor Pig saying, get, and him, and that exclamation point of Damien just leaping up over the chair. I I love these three series of panels. So uh, before we get out of this book, and if you have any questions yourself, is what did you think of the art for not only this issue, but maybe – uh, Morrison's work with uh, quietly on, on this series.
0: Yeah, and and I would say I'm, I'm similar to you, not with that Tim history, but I was picking up, I think, all of the reborn issues, mm-hmm. and yeah. I was I was not <laughs> getting into any of them, with the exception of of Steph's run, of course, right? And it only came about like later. I ended up, I think, selling a lot. A-L-O-T on eBay (laughs) I think I got like the first three and didn't really Enjoy them and so I I sold Batman and Robin one through three I think Red Robin one through three And something else and now I've like Gotten back you know I've gotten them back (laughs) Which is always ironic (laughs) I know Uh, Yeah just to speak a little bit to what And then of course I'll answer the question I think I I totally understand where you're coming from Because you know to be so Attached to a particular Robin Mm -hmm. and to have that Taken away and with like almost a lesser Rob Like this guy, Tim is, is so personable and caring, and then this guy is <laughs> the opposite of that. I totally get that. And I think if, if I were to give encouragement to anyone or advice to anyone about, you know, how can I get into Damien Wayne, I'd be like, you just need to have an open mind, <laughs> right. because otherwise, you're not gonna, you're not going to be able to do it. You really are not going to be able to do it. Yeah, the art. Yeah. So I think that was one of the reasons that may have turned me off when I was getting this mm-hmm. when it was coming out is it is... It's it's an interesting art style. Yeah. I, I think there are more etchings or you know more pencil ticks than I'm necessarily used to, and just like Professor Pig, like the <laughs> how grotesque he is, like he's grotesque. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely who he is. But I feel like, and I think this is what you said, it really does match the story and and what's being told, and and I think it it works really well. And I feel like the representation of Damien as this cocky kid that is probably you know in that moment he was probably underestimated and that's how he was able to to get through well do his his mojo and 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 take pig unaware but it works I think it works but it's also an art style that might take some time with people like mm-hmm. you just have to get used to it because it's not I think uh what are those called like stand
1: house house like arts yeah like that uh. D.C. House Art, is yeah, that what called? Yeah, I think so. Michael Bailey, where are you right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something like yeah. that. Kind of the standard of like, oh, yeah, you know, that everyone's really comfortable with. It is uh, a bit of an offshoot. But, like, yeah, I think, like, we both agree it, it really fits this particular story yeah. and this book at the time.
1: And the issue that you pick does manage to fit three Robins in one book. Only by the last (laughs) splash page, we get uh, Jason Todd, a Red Hood, where there was part of me that I had always liked Jason more as, you know, Batman's greatest mistake was Jason and, you know, bringing him to the field and all that stuff and him dying, but an even bigger thorn to batman's side now his greatest fa- mistake i meant failure now his greatest failure is alive and now could be potentially his greatest foe so mm-hmm. there was always that part that i liked you know that jason's kind of almost not non-lethal punter punter-ish uh for for dc like oh, jason's gonna go about doing his own way but there was something i almost liked the other way too of almost jason being the villain now that Bruce is going to have to deal with it, but at this time, it's Bruce is still presumed dead because Tim hasn't found him yet. So I thought it was just a one extra little, little tidbit I wanted to uh, squeeze in there. Do you have any thoughts on just Jason during this time frame?
0: Yeah, well, it's just it takes on a different dynamic that it's not Bruce going against Jason; it's now Dick going against. Mm-hmm. Jason. So it's almost, you know, War of the Robins, which I, I, I think is a, a completely different feel and motivations of, of the fight is, is different. So I think it's an interesting angle to to go at.
1: All right. Well, what do you say we uh, go chronologically to our next book? And I believe that will be Batgirl 17. Sure. So, Stella, would you like to take the reins on this one?
0: I would love to. Giddy up. Okay, this is Batgirl volume three, number 17. I did not go to Meg's Amazing World, but uh, it's called The Lesson, which was The arc, and then the story was Frogs, Snails, and Puppy Dog Tales. <laughs> <laughs> I love the title. Uh, writer Brian Q. Miller, The Man, artist Pere Perez, and color Sky Major, and the cover date was 2011. So we begin this issue with Alfred bringing <laughs> pancakes to Damien, which is, of course, a betrayal for anyone who's read this title. Right. The little creeper is hanging upside down explaining that he only needs one to two hours of sleep like his papa. Alfred explains that little boys need rest and food, but Damien tells him to leave. Damien then begins recording in his red casebook. Meanwhile, Stephanie sleeps late due to a mission for Batman Inc., uh, which I have no clue cool about is what I wrote in the synopsis and is awoken by her mother with waffles. So there's yep. some nice symmetry there, but waffles is really what this book is about. While she rushes to get ready, her mom tells her that she needs to slow down and enjoy life. Back with everyone's favorite character, Robin, he <laughs> inverts a crossing guard who, according to Robin, is acting suspicious. When Backrow joins him and he calls her girl Blunder, which was interesting, It was funnier to me now than it probably was then. (laughs) They get into their normal banter while relaying different clues to the current case. It seems that several middle class children have been, and middle class, I didn't mean middle school, but middle class children have been kidnapped. Robin is a little upset that Steph knows more than he does. Mad and Robin ghost a field trip, and Robin ends up going undercover as a... (gasps) The love-hate banter continues, and Steph realizes that Robin just does not know how to have fun. The case comes to—and she, I will say, in this, she very much becomes the Oracle, and he is like— the black canary or the back girl because she's on the side trying to direct him and then he's undercover i don't know where he got those clothing those clothes but he's he's infiltrated in that way uh the case comes to a head as they find the bus driver tied to or a bus driver i guess of this class field trip tied and gagged and the gaggle of students welcomed back onto the bus by the kidnappers a little steel, a dash of fist, a cup of terrible driving by Robin, and a bushel of great driving by Batgirl, and the kids are all safe. The issue concludes with Steph and Damien almost having a moment <laughs> as she shows him how to have fun at a moon bounce. And that's, I think, my favorite scene, probably, of Damien history, right, right, right. I have to say.
1: So one of the first, like... I don't know what it is. Actually, I know what it is. A. I love waffles. So, reading Stephanie <laughs> Brown anytime, I feel this urge to. I, I just need waffles before I start reading. So, uh, Terrence and I had done an a ill-fated Batman and Robin Eternal podcast that so didn't go very far, but we did cover the first two issues of Stephanie Brown's uh, book in that, and just mm. waffles. You know, we're we're everywhere, and the the cover was <laughs> literally oozing waffles. So, I find it funny that Alfred is bringing pancakes to Damien. I'm yep. like, oh, that's a sin. You can't do that in the Batgirl book. <laughs> but it goes to fitting like, of course Damien's going to have pancakes. I don't need to have these waffles. So I just thought that was more funny for Brian Q. Miller. Like, of course it's going to be waffles for, uh, for Stephanie. But this is a relationship I don't think really got played out enough that it's most this one single issue and just a little banner yeah. back and forth. But I could have really seen this be a... A new duo, a Batgirl and a, and a Robin duo. And it almost made me, when I first read this issue, go, I could really take a Stephanie Brown in a Damian Wayne-led book, almost more so than I could mm. a Dick and Damian. And I, and I love those two together, but I think they pair really well together. Stephanie's a little bit closer in age, still not. I mean, he's she's closer to Damian than Dick is far in age, but... It works a little bit more, and they both are still new to their respective roles. So what do you think, like, the contrast between the two? Obviously, it's working for the book, but did you did you like their pairing together? Obviously, you picked the book.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And... Oh man, yeah. Where to begin with this? It's it's such an interesting <laughs> pair. It's it's definitely it's already sibling. Mm-hmm. I think we're we Dick and Damien have to grow into that, and and they're just strangers almost put together because of these circumstances. Damien and Steph right out of the gate are in a spat and squabbling, squabbling, squabbling. Is that <laughs> yeah. what it is? quarreling quarreling siblings and that's what I think is amazing he completely disregards her like you don't even deserve to be on this team Mm -hmm. and she shows him up which is one of the reasons why I love Stephanie as Batgirl because this is this is issue 17 if they had met earlier on like it probably would have been deserved but uh, she's grown so much in this arc that yeah she knows what she's doing she's got information that he doesn't And, and I think to a certain extent you know she impresses him But I don't know if they're closer to equals, maybe, but they both have something to learn. From one another, and I think secretly they're willing to to learn that. Like he can learn to be, I would say, a human being, uh, a ten year old human being boy, <laughs> and learning how to how to uh, <laughs> live life and have fun. And she can learn, you know, more aspects of being a crime fighter and skills and, and things like that. So they both help each other grow in distinct ways. They don't want to tell the other one or show the mm-hmm. other one that they appreciated. Or are learning from that, and then outwardly they just have these spats that are, you know, on the surface really annoying. Maybe when you're first reading it, but real, you know, girl blunder. <laughs> oh man, I mean, and and just the the moon bounce. And I think she said, "What if?" Wasn't there like an assassination line? I don't have it in front of me. Like, what if I said you could something? Something said then I'd have fun or smile yeah. something like that. Um, then
1: why aren't you smiling? I'm not. You sure look like you're smiling which would be fun. I'm thinking about stabbing you, maybe.
0: There you go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, does that answer? But yeah, I totally, I agree with you. Like having, I don't know if it would work now, Yeah. but if it were in the the continuity that we are right now in, in this moment of the podcast, I think that that would have been a great little team up. Yeah. Uh, because it's lighter it's it's not heavy stuff like the Professor Pig stuff that's heavy stuff it's not I mean he might there might be some fun little quips he might do his t- little sound effect yeah. that he always does but it's not it's not a fun book necessarily to read but this is, it's fun and it's bright, mainly because of Steph. And so to have that and to bring Damien out of the darkness that he's constantly in, which is you know another reason why I chose Gotham Academy as well, is something that would have been really unique, I think, to the Bat universe at the time.
1: And this also does a really good job of humanizing Damien, even so much so that he's in civilian clothes and he can't <laughs> stand it. Which <laughs> yeah. I found like he's got like almost a Spider-Man hat on, which I, I know it's a DC book, but, uh, or it looks like it's a, a Veggie Tales hat or, or something along those lines. But he says, you know, this is humiliating. And Steph's like, no, this is good old fashioned undercover work. So when I started warming up to the idea of Damien and that really shows in the Gotham Academy book is him not being Robin and having to go about the mission almost under undercover. Now that probably sounds Mm. really dumb, but not having to rely on the texts and the gadgets and really doing some grounded stuff and being led by somebody else. And the way uh, Brian writes Damien is that this is the safe and the best play. Stephanie's not going to be able to infiltrate this. Damien's going to have to play the part of the kid, even though he's a 10 year or he's a 21 year old and a, 10-year-old body or, you know, something like that. Yeah. So do you think the Bounce – maybe I read too much into things, but do you think the Bounce House represents something for Damien, like youth that he never really got to experience because it's all been mission and take over the world from Grandpa?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I I think it's, yeah, missed opportunity. And then it's also frivolous, which is, I think, one of the reasons why – he bristles at it, like, this is a waste of my time. Mm. I could be training sort of situation. But learning that maybe actually there are these moments that you need to have that need to be quiet moments or just enjoy it or have whatever this F word is, fun. fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there is something there for sure. Because, you know, his story is kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his his backstory, of course, it's not. I think it is tragic but in a different way than, you know, say Dick Grayson's Robin origin story is tragic. Because you wouldn't, I mean, just to think about a 10 year old and, and the way that he was brought up, I mean, that's hard. And so I I, I don't think you're reading anything into it as, at all, which is why I think it is such a fun and beautiful moment there. And, and one of my favorite panels also is that horizontal panel, which I don't know what page it is, but you see both Damien and, steph with the binoculars and they're like next to each <laughs> yeah, other yeah. and it's such a simple like they're just looking but just the fact that they're doing the same thing and they're next to each other almost like you know little brother emulating big sister mm-hmm. kind of thing but that might not necessarily be what it is but yeah i think it's there's a beauty there that that steph is trying to reach out to him and and per but what's interesting is that it took steph to do this when he's been with all these other men, that's clearly not on their agenda at all. But she realized, I think that's why she's such an emotional, I know this is not the Stephanie Brown cast, <laughs> but that's why she's such an emotional center, I think, to, to the family, is that she's able to recognize, hey, there's something missing, and I'm going to reach out to that part of him. And no one else had done that. So that's why I think it's a great moment.
1: Well, I also think Damien has always combated against the men in his life. mm When his mother was such a big, strong focal point in his life. So to be working alongside another female, I don't think it was ever really explained much, but especially in this. But there's probably more of a respect. Like he has that respect or had the respect of his mother so that there's another female that he's working with. That's just kind of. You know, Stephanie's not mothering him, but respecting him in a way that, okay, fine. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. And I think that's all that Damien wanted was to be accepted. And his mother, at least initially, did that until, you know, she kind of went crazy crackers on him.
0: Yeah. And this is Damien. I think it takes somebody else being with him because there's no way he would grow as a character on his own. Because he wouldn't have recognized any of his failings, he would say like, "I don't have any failings," and just go about his business and catch the perp and ignore the victim. Right. But it takes someone else to reach out and be like, "Hey, there's something that you're missing here. I'm going to teach you." Right.
1: All right. So, unless you have any uh, final thoughts, and I always Terrence is going to yell at me for not mentioning the mentioning the cover. I love the covers. For this time frame, where you got all these white covers with a character shot, in Dustin Nguyen, he can literally draw an apple, and I think it's the the, gr- the greatest <laughs> thing. I love this cover so much, and yes, Terrence, if you're listening, this is poster worthy. I would hang this on my wall. I just I love this cover. Any thoughts on the uh, on the cover on this one?
0: Yeah, I love this one. It's it is I would say simple compared to other Dustin Nguyen mm-hmm. ones. But you can, I can, just like Phil Noto, I can I can pull Dustin Nguyen's stuff out really quickly. My favorite cover in this entire series, actually, and I don't know what issue it is, but it's with Steph, I believe, on a gargoyle and behind her is stained glass windows oh, I love that cover. Um, of a church. Yeah. And that is the one of the most beautiful covers, I think, that Dustin Nguyen has, at, at least in my opinion, but it's my, it's my favorite one. Yeah,
1: that is a great cover as well. Well, we're going to swing the pendulum to the new 52. So, I, <gasps> so yeah. I've always said that this was my second golden age. I didn't really become a comic book collector. I bought comics, but I didn't become a collector of buying multiple books. So during the new 52, I maintained 14 books Ooh. at this time. So I think I was in like, you know, I was married by this point and I had, you know, disposable income I didn't have back in the 90s where I was only picking up a few books because I was playing drums and it was going into big drum kits. And so now I had more money to read comics and I was not an avid comic collector. The New 52 did that for me, but it also made me look backwards and go, Mm. hmm, I like what. I'm reading, but the more that I'm reading it, I'm going, hmm, I kinda missed what I didn't really get to be a part of. That being said, as much, you know, love and adoration as, you know, Scott Snyder got from The Black Mirror, then he and Greg Capullo did, you know, some really great things with Batman. I always maintained that the Batman book for me was always Batman and Robin. I used to go from the time I didn't like Damien till Me going, you know, I did like Damien somewhat in the Morrison run. It was Batman Mm -hmm. and Robin that swung that pendulum over. And there have only been two comics that have ever literally brought tears to my eyes. And that was the silent issue for 18. I got a chance to meet Pat Gleason and had him sign that issue. And said that was one of the most beautiful issues. And Tomasi found a way to write this character that... I couldn't stand at the beginning, and then when Morrison had killed him off, and then Tomasi had to play with that, and it left this whole going, well, this was a Batman and Robin book. How are you going to have a Batman and Robin book without the Robin that he was writing, and was able to write for Damian, and Damian not be in the book for a great many issues till he was brought back, so... This by far is one of the books that I say for anybody that says they don't like Damien, this run reading all 40 issues of this, I think will turn you into a Damien Wayne fan. So that's my adoration for this. So I was very glad that you picked this issue. I almost thought when you were picking a new 52 issue, you might've gone to 18, the silent issue. But I think this is where the seeds for that swing that Tomasi is starting to push for Damien, so okay, any thoughts uh, that you have on this before uh, we start this issue of you know what what led you to why you chose eight
0: Yeah, I think it's just the transition point I think if I were to pick anything sooner, it would have been you know if people are reading along with this podcast it would have been hard for people to understand <laughs> why I, I I like Damien so much because it's it's rough It's a rough father- son relationship and it seems like Damien's betraying his father and they don't understand each other and so I tried to pick a moment where there's still a bit of that misunderstanding but you're starting to see, the winds change, and it's not perfect, but you see that growth. And so I tried to pick an issue that showed a bit of that incremental growth. But it's hard. Mm -hmm. This one was hard just because – I'm just picking in an, it and it's true of with the exception of Batgirl and Gotham Academy, you know, I was just picking something. Mm-hmm. But you have to in order to have the full appreciation, I think, of his character arc, you need need to be able to put in some time and, and trust mm-hmm. that Rob and I know what we're talking <laughs> about and that it'd be worth your time.
1: Well, here we go. Batman and Robin number eight has a cover date of June two thousand twelve with an on-sale date of April eleventh, two thousand twelve, and a cover price of two ninety-nine. The editor is Michael Martz the title is Black Dawn. The writer is Peter J. Tomasi. The penciler is the wonderful Patrick Gleason, who is sadly with Marvel now, but he's on a Spider he's <laughs> on a Spider-Man book, so Stella's got to be a little happy about that. Inker Mick Gray, the color uh, Patrick Brussaro. and again I, I am butchering that uh, terribly. I color this guy major. Cover credits go to Pat Gleason and Mick Gray born to kill black dawn having just witnessed his own son's fatal move against uh, morgan ducard batman is rendered speechless damien explains that he did what he needed to do for his father he still believes that in order to protect gotham people like nobody must be killed damien collapses into his father's arms and batman carries him back to the bat urgently bruce lays down damien on the operating table in the Batcave. cave bruce insists that damien receives care before he does growing angrily when it is suggested that he rest alfred expresses concern of damien's apparent autonomy from bruce and bruce explains that the whole ordeal with nobody has been a ploy on damien's part to make it easier for himself to take him down alfred's heart sinks when he hears that nobody was taken down by damien permanently Upstairs, Bruce launches into the gaze of his parents' portrait, admitting that part of him wishes that it had been him that had killed nobody and not Damien. Weathered from his own wounds, Bruce collapses, with Titus barking to alert Alfred. You gotta love Titus. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) After... A brief I told you so by Alfred. Alfred takes charge and determines that Bruce has a heavy concussion and requires rest. Sure, he does. That night, Bruce checks on his sleeping son and leaves a USB drive beside the table. Damien wakes and plugs the drive in to his music player, a drive that contains a recording of Bruce on how he came to meet Morgan Ducard and the day that nearly reached the point of no return and attempting to kill him. Earlier in the morning, Damien finds Bruce in the study. Finally removing the shrouds from the furniture inside, Bruce explains that this is the only room left untouched since his parents' murder, and he thinks it's finally time to deserve it see some light. Unmoved by this, Damien reveals that he heard the entire story, and Bruce admits that while he wanted to kill Morgan Ducard in the past for what he did to Damien, he had made a promise to live by certain principles which preclude killing. By killing those who kill, it simply reinforces the cycle of violence. Damien has trouble accepting that killing violent criminals doesn't solve the problem. But he doesn't want to become like Dakar did. He wants a moral code. He wants to be like his father. Bruce responds, all that he wants for his son is to be the best Demian Wayne he can be. The boy wishes to make amends for his actions. But Bruce responds that there is nothing to be done but remember what he did. Bruce and Damien decide, given their concussion lockdown imposed by Alfred, they should attempt to do something mundane together as father and son. Alfred watches on with worry as they play fetch with Titus, concerned that they will reopen their stitches. Moments before they decide to go inside, the sky lights up with a shining bat signal, and Alfred watches with frustration as his two charges rush off to face some new threat. So there is the synopsis for number eight for Batman and Robin. So one of the first questions I have for you is, the new 52, what were your thoughts then and now regarding, Ooh. well, we already answered the Dick and Damien portion, but now that we've moved into the Bruce and Damien portion, is this a better suiting that it's father and son as opposed to brother and brother?
0: I don't know. I don't <laughs> I don't know if it's it's better. It's hard for me to compare those two. I feel like it's apples and oranges Mm. it gets back to the the classic formula of father and son um hmm.
1: well maybe a better question to answer this how does this affect damien's growth as a character did he regress from where he ended with dick or has he grown more being with his father
0: I think he – I would say both. <laughs> I, I, I do think the character did regress. I think that uh, lethal tactics weren't necessarily in his mind as much because I won't say ever with uh, with the Dick and Damien because um, I, I don't think he was ever – while he was pretty rough <laughs> with Pig, I don't think he was ever going to land a killing blow. And so a new 52 – came about, it was very much like, we've got this ripe assassin. If he feels like someone needs to be done away with, he's going to do it. He doesn't necessarily have Bruce's code. He doesn't understand it as much. So I think there is a regression from before, because I think maybe that was already instilled in mm-hmm. him uh, with pre-New 52. What would that be called? Pre-Flashpoint? Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> um, but, uh, they've, yeah, they've done away with that. But then we do see, I mean, just in this issue, because you start off and two of his fingers. Are in the skull of Descartes. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, he's like, you know, I want to take up uh, fully this mantle and this code with you, Father. So even in this issue, you see that growth. So I would say the answer is both to your question.
1: I feel by issue eight, we're starting to get back, again, like what you said, some of Damien's pre new 52 codes by not killing. But was this a necessary killing for Damien to do to? To eventually land on the trajectory where he is, was this a a no win scenario for for Damian?
0: <laughs> and I, you know, I just read <laughs> Joker, Last Laugh from two thousand one for my two hundredth episode, and Nightwing at the end he kills Joker, mm-hmm. he kills him, and then of course somebody resuscitates him. I believe Batman gives him compressions. I think so and that was almost like a this is necessary i mean he snapped because spoiler he thought that tim drake was killed had been killed Mm. in this whole thing so he snapped and felt like we just need to get rid of this guy he's it's just never happened so uh, maybe you know in damien's mind i I think perhaps he felt there was no other way he had to be gotten rid of but as we know with Batman, <laughs> there's always like potential redemption for all of these people, even though he too admits that he had thought about killing Ducard. But I feel like he always tries to, to stay on that side where no, no killing, no killing. But for Damien, I think he saw that this it was the only way to protect my father was to kill
1: him. Mm-hmm. Alfred and Damien have a connection that is, I love how he calls him Pennyworth. You know, throughout everything, it's almost like that's being rude. But I think at a certain (laughs) point, he is very sincere when he calls him Pennyworth. But my question is, does Alfred see an alternate version of Bruce in Damian Wayne? If Bruce did not have Alfred's guidance, would this be the version of Batman that would have become? Can he look at where Bruce is and the reason why Damien is the way he is because he did not have the loving care. So is he more, you know, Alfred's always had this close bond with all of the Robins, but I really think he has a closer bond with Damien because of his upbringing. And is that because, you know, of the bond that he had with Bruce?
0: I think partially, I I would say, on the surface that y- you're right that Alfred is certainly the, the moral compass and, and Batman, I think, has been pulled back from the edge. But you and I have most certainly experienced storylines where Batman does not listen to Alfred. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, so I think he's probably looking to that, um, that, he, you know, he sees this darkness in Damien and so he, he's going to rest that out of him and and try to prevent him from going down a bad path and uh, you know i think in the back of his mind also and i think it was this issue too that i picked that there's that one panel where bruce looks behind him and and jason's mm-hmm. robin yep. costume is there so he does he does think of that so i think alfred is always also i think you know the robins and their past experiences is always in are always the past experiences of the Robins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are always on his mind. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that.
1: And something I also really liked in my last little note here on this issue is Bruce cleaning his father's study. Letting the light is symbolizing that Bruce needs to let the light shine not in le- only on his world, but that of his sons as well. That this is the last room that he he left standing as as it was, it was his father's study that, you know, so much of the Batman lore is, you know, the bat flies into the room and lands on the, the bust of his father while he's bleeding in the chair. If you're, you know, following year one continuity and all of that, that it's this dark, you know, sanctuary. And I think issue one starts with them going to the grandfather clock that the time was set at their parents' death that Bruce turns it to, their wedding like this is not something i should be focusing my war or crime on on their death i need to be celebrating their life and this kind of dovetails back into that and i think like my question is i think this was a a nice wrinkle so to say that was kind of lost after this of bruce celebrating his parents life and wanting to show his son like there are better ways we can do this mission. So I liked that, but as with some writers, that just kind of gets lost. Did you like that aspect of Bruce leaning oh, towards the light? Yeah,
0: I, yeah, absolutely. Whenever Batman is more optimistic than Brooding, I always appreciate it. And I think not to lessen any of his relationships with the previous Robins, but I think it is really special that this is his blood. And he is, while he was a father to the others, you know, surrogate adopted father, this is his son. And so to become that man and almost become, you know, the f- father that Thomas was to him, I think that that shows up in, in this entire arc and, and doing that and, and trying to, Be a man worthy of the name of a father. And so that's a huge growth and and theme that I think we see in this particular run. And I do at least want to say that I did really like that it's just a little detail, but the fact that he gives that thumb drive to his son Mm, when he's convalescing. And just the I mean, when you think of Bruce Wayne, you don't really think of him as sentimental. I was trying to think of the word. I was thinking, is it emotional? Yeah. No, he's, she says it's sentimentality. But the fact that he was on his search, he was actually narrating a journal, and then he gave it to his son, so that because they had this difficulty understanding each other, you know, he was able to to relay like this is everything
1: that went through. I thought that was a really big moment too. Awesome. Well, that's the notes I have for this. What do you say we go to our fourth and final book?
0: Okay. Yes, we're doing we're it. We're doing it. Okay, so this is Gotham Academy (laughs) number seven. Curse of the Innish Tree Quill. Writers Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher artist Mingwei Helen Chen and letter Steve Wands, and the cover date was August 2015. While Professor Scarlet, a.k.a. the bookworm, recites and lectures on The Raven, Map stares at the back of Eric's head, <laughs> Eric is a classmate, and adds his name to her serpents and spells team with the quill that she took from Headmaster Hammer's office in issue number five. She doesn't notice Scarlet ask her a question about The Raven, and when he presses her, Eric freaks out and merely attacks Scarlet, but Damien Wayne swoops in and stops him. Maps realizes that Eric is the wrong person for her team, and Damien needs to be on the team instead. She goes back to her room to tell Olive what happened, but McPherson and her dog, Ham, are there packing some of Olive's things as she will be away for a few days. There she learns of Damien's name and parentage, while a raven flies outside her window and Ham barks at it outside damien is doing some training and maps writes maps plus damien in her notebook which suddenly causes them to lock hands unable to release their hands damien doesn't believe in magic when she tries to explain and suddenly the raven swoops down and steals the quill maps then drags damien to pommeline who uses some weird gizmos and asks questions about the quill you know i'm realizing this is like a terrible issue for a new reader (laughs) so i do apologize (laughs) Raw. I think I started real when I was reading it, but now in my recap, I'm like, wow, this is kind of rough here. <laughs> they start to realize it is a powerful weapon when suddenly Pomeline freaks out and pushes them out of a window. Luckily, Damien holds on and tells Maps to reach for his grapple gun. And uh, we cut to a short scene where Maps is promising... <laughs> <laughs> To honor and cherish the grapple gun. Oh, Oh, man. They shoot a line and swing across campus right through a window and into Kyle, who swings his tennis racket in attack. And Damien swings Maps. And Kyle is Maps' brother, for anyone who doesn't know. Maps has the bright idea to use the dog Ham to find the raven. They explain the situation to McPherson. McPherson then re tells a story from when she was younger about a place called Innistree in Scotland. Innistree was home to Castle Wayne, and recently the children of the village ran amok, causing havoc, seemingly under the control of a flock of black birds. A man named Morgan Kilback gave his life to help Batman save the town and the children, and it turned out that they were taken by an avian illness. The hawks from Castle Wayne stopped the children's rampage. Batman thought the threat was over when the eggs of the blackbirds were shattered, but the birds who laid the eggs were not found. Maps believes the quill was made from a feather of one of those birds. McPherson and Ham have some experience in sussing out old mysteries, so they go to help. As they go around in the, of course, graveyard, they are attacked by Kyle, McPherson, and Colton. Damien and Maps wrap them in a bat cord, and Ham finds the bird with the quill, at which Damien throws a batarang, which catches Maps' notice and causes her to believe he is Batman. (laughs) Oh, just wait. Batman 666. And the... Bird drops the quill. Scarlet, still reciting the raven, finds them and explains that the Innish Tree quill carries a curious strain of avian flu native to the British Isles. This explains why everyone who is exposed went nutty. Maps says that doesn't explain why she and Damien are forced together, and he says that was a choice and now that the adventure is done, they can release. They do, and Maps is disappointed that it was not magic. Suddenly, Hammer appears and takes them both to his office. Maps is getting dressed down for stealing the quill from his office when Suddenly, oh my, Damien confesses and quickly gets expelled, which was a bit extreme, which gives Hammer pleasure since apparently he has done this to a wane in the past. Before he leaves, Maps shows Damien her notebook and the fact that their names were crossed out, which means the quill was magic after all. Damien gives Maps the batarang and McPherson interrupts her loving thoughts <laughs> by saying they need to talk about Olive,
1: and that's for another time.
0: Well, sir, how did it feel being dropped into the middle of a book that you may never have read in your well, life? Well,
1: I got to say, when this, when you said this issue, I was like, I have never read Gotham Academy. <laughs> so I went to my filing cabinet where I store. I've got a comic app, CLZ app. I don't get any promotion for it, but it's a great app. Log all my comics, scan the barcode, and it puts them in there. Great, Great little thing, worth every dime. So I was scrolling through on the phone. I was like... I said says I have Gotham Academy number seven. So I bought this simply because Damian Wayne was in the issue and I had never read it until you suggested it. So this was my first read of every, of everything that we read. I could have gone in cold and not had read and not had done <laughs> any notes and fly by the seat of my pants. So that's why I said off Mike, I may need your help on this one. You <laughs> sure? sure. <laughs> but, um, what I really liked. The most about this, and I had said it previously, sometimes when Damien is not Robin and seeing an adventure yep. that doesn't require all the capes and everything like that, even though there's batarangs and grapple guns. This was fun. This this issue alone, like I want to know what happens to the left and the right of Gotham Academy, because I know its series did not last very long, but this is right in the DC excuse me, Y-O-U period, which will slowly Mm -hmm. lead to convergence and getting into rebirth a little bit down the line. So this is the last, Nudge of an era of DC again, trying to figure out what they're doing. But this was a fun read and I put out a tweet that, you know, a vague tweet of like who I'm speaking with and Jay Oz, a good friend of the show had his one word was maps. And I'm like maps. Did I, did I, (laughs) did I mistype something? So. I'm assuming from this that she is a big part of this book. So for the listeners at home that are, you know, basically listening to Tim Drake and this is their introduction, who is Maps as a character and it, what, yeah. what is her connection uh, for you and ex- especially for Damien and their bond? Because this is different than what we've seen with maybe Bond, but just the interaction here. It's different from Dick, Stephanie and Bruce. So who is Maps?
0: Yeah, Maps, Miyaguchi, Mizuguchi is, I would say, the second main character. The first one is Olive, who doesn't appear in this. And Olive is a bit of a loner and outcast and maps is one of those people that could be friends with everybody and so she befriends all of them they become best friends and she wants to have this club which of course is, is one of her <laughs> she's trying to come up with all these things because gotham, gotham academy of course being in gotham weird things happen and so she wants to have this group that investigates some of the weird stuff that's going on there so she's yeah someone to to reach out she's the the goofy character if anyone's a fan of lumberjanes i don't know if that, that i feel like this is not not your target audience, <laughs> but she's very much uh, the, uh, gosh, it's not Ridley, it's it's Riley. Riley. Wow, that Ridley. Ripley. Woo! Yeah. Okay, yes. there we go. It's very much the Ripley character, just like a goofy, loving, great heart character that is by your side, and so she's certainly like... The, the, almost the best aspect of this particular book. And Gotham Academy, what was nice about this, as well as, I was thinking about, it popped up randomly, Gotham by Midnight. Mm-hmm. Remember that yeah, book? Yeah. So I don't know if it, I felt like it was kind of the same time, but it was just nice to have a book that, even though Bat Bruce Wayne actually does pop up maybe once or twice here, and then you've got Damien, that it was within the Batman universe, but it was just exploring something that was completely different, which was such uh, a unique aspect, I think, of this particular book. But Maps was certainly one of the reasons why I think you should buy it. And then with Damien, is that your second question? Yeah, Damien, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't pop up very often. I, I think this is his main issue. I think, if I recall correctly, at the end of six, you've got like the new student, and, and there he is. Mm-hmm. And of course, of course, it would have to be maps that would befriend him. And just the, the goop, you know, similar to Stephanie, maybe a, a bit quirkier than mm-hmm. Stephanie, but is able to connect with him in like really bizarre ways. And I think it's almost like the little girl in the museum scene in back 17 where i think she's able to relate to him on the kid level and there are times when he tries to play an adult Mm. you know i think it just breaks quickly with her asides i mean that's just her like daydreaming about marrying (laughs) a gravel gun i mean that is maps to a t But the, the fact that, yeah, their hands are locked, so a brief shipper, of course, I, I think that would be a great relationship <laughs> between the two. But he trusts, I mean, at the end that he gives her a battering, I think is, is great, and they're able to solve a mystery together, so she holds her own and, and perhaps gains respect in his eyes, so it's like the perfect character. I don't think it would have worked with any other character, but he's clearly there to infiltrate, because they're, I mean, all the teachers, the faculty, basically, are these off these villains that are going by other names. Like I said, yeah. Bookworm is, is Professor Scarlet. And, and it looks like Ray ghoul is Professor Hammer. But who knows? I will spoil mm. it. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's Gotham Academy. Yeah, I just threw
1: you right in yeah, there. Yeah, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't go to the DC Universe app and go, are all these issues of Gotham Academy on there? And I believe they are. So, probably Ooh. while I'm doing some editing and taking breaks, I'll probably be reading some of this. And I first went, is that Bookworm? Is that is that the bookworm? <laughs> so I, yes. I had forgotten about that they were throwing some like deep cuts, like, you know, you're not going to yeah. get the Joker or Professor Cobblepot or, you know, something crazy like that, but you may get a bookworm or, you know, the hints of maybe a Raishao Ghoul or something like that. Yeah. Uh, something that I think, and this is definitely aiming towards a certain target. Ar- ter- cert- that's hard to say, Rob. Certain target audience in just the art style alone of being more of mm-hmm. a a youth oriented book and that's that's not a knock at all there's something very refreshing that I could give this to one of my nieces or nephews to read and my sister'd be totally fine that I'm giving them a comic book to read this I think would hit my twelve year old niece very well to read this and there'd be nothing that, you know, Uncle Rob's gotta go, well, maybe we'll flip through this page. But the art is just and I mean this in the best possible way, so cute and adorable and mm-hmm. one of the and I really don't like it when DC doesn't uh number their pages, but when they're talking about the Ravens, there's this Yellow lo- elongated panel, but looks like it's cut, copied, and pasted of the two characters with the raven holding the uh, the feather, and you know Damien and Maps are you know discussing. I, that is such a cute panel, and it's a, obviously a little different from the art style, but um, I think the art really sells this book. And if if I was You know, somewhere between the ages of nine to you know eleven or whatever, that I think this would be would have been something I would have really gravitated to. Uh, What do you think of the art in this book?
0: Yeah, I I very much enjoy uh, Ming-Wei Helen Chen's art. I think it fits the book rather well. It's a lighter tone book for the most part, but there are moments, especially when you get into all his past, that get dark darker, at least, and I think it does retain a T title, a T yeah. rating, which was, I thought was always interesting. I felt like it could have been a whatever, but maybe they're trying to get more readership maybe with that. But it, yeah, it just fits, and I think it was unique, and You know, one of the things maybe that DC did right at that time was to try to have unique books that went unique all the way. So it was a unique idea, unique storytelling, and then unique art. And I think that Gotham Academy really fit that bill.
1: Yeah, and there's something like you had said in your, I believe in your synopsis of of having somebody like that that's in the DC universe that you could have been reading like – I can't remember what event was going on, like Court of the Owls or, or something going on during yeah. this time frame. And having a book like this that has one of those main characters and going, it's of the world, but it's not in the in the world, so to speak. Yeah. It's not tying on to this multi-crossover event that DC would be doing, but it can tell its own story. But still utilizing characters of something that you would be reading somewhere else and go, oh, I can see where Damien left this mission and went to gotham academy and he's going back to fight you know so and so yeah did you have anything else for this book this is probably the one that i brought the the least questions for other than maps loving the grapple gun and loving the batarang <laughs> and i just chuckled at you know damien In some of the previous issues we just talked about tonight, of, you know, bouncing in a bouse house and having to act like a 10 year old boy, God forbid, that now he's having to hold hands with a girl and the girl is, you know, Mm -hmm. all lovey and dovey and everything like that. That's just gotta drive Damien nuts. But I think this is a little bit more mature Damien that has kind of been through the ropes. This is post him dying and being resurrected again. And he is currently in his own series, uh, Robin, son of Batman drawn and written by Patrick Gleason, who does have a female kid partner in the book. So while it is mm-hmm. his solo title, this is kind of a nice companion piece that he still can kind of work with somebody of this age range. So that's I think my last comment I have on it and I will kind of turn the, uh, the mic over to you for any uh, final thoughts on Gotham Academy.
0: Yeah, well, I just wondered, what do you think he learns from this mission? Because I think throughout this episode, we've, we've certainly talked about what he has learned from the various partners that he has been with, or, or the issues. So what do you think that he has learned from partnering with MAPS and being in this book, <laughs> and booted out of Gotham Academy so easily and quickly? The, I think
1: through all of these that Damien doesn't know as much as he claims to think that he knows and his reliance on having to rely on somebody else is not always necessarily a bad thing. And he's finding out new things about himself and how to interact with one another. And that's okay. It's not a sign of weakness It's a sign of strength. Even with somebody like Maps, there's an exuberance that might rub Damien the wrong way. But I think that's filtering back out through what he does after the events of this book. So Mm -hmm. I think he is gaining probably even a little bit more humanity in this than he has in the previous four books that we talked about tonight.
0: Yeah, I would agree, especially – and I think symbolically just the fact that he doesn't wear his costume mm-hmm. I think is really huge because I think there are, those are the moments that he's like, okay, we are stripping him down of this assassin background and actually who is Damien the kid or the yeah, young man? Yeah, he's
1: having to be Damien Wayne and not be the, yeah. a mythical hero
0: absolutely i I find it amusing or maybe amusing is not even the right word, but interesting <laughs> that he is skeptical of magic, yes. but with Batman, he's probably even though Batman doesn't encounter and I don't like him to encounter many supernatural things, they've clearly encountered some things that would be you know magical or supernatural
1: the the line I like here. Um, it's right by the in stock trades ad, where right where their <laughs> hands are locked, he's like, Magic, t- don't. what did you do? like don't don't say it, don't like th- it, this can't be magic for him to realize, oh crap, it's magic. I thought it was just really funny, yeah. just the scowl on his face with his finger giving the the, the don't, don't do it. I thought it was really funny.
0: He would probably be the perfect person. Like, if there were a Freaky Friday oh, issue yeah. <laughs> and he and Map switched bodies, I think that would probably be really interesting. But, you, you know, how shocking and how wonderful for him to basically, you know, lay down his proverbial life and uh, say, you know, I was the one who stole mm-hmm. the quill. And and help map, Maps. Now, I don't know if Maps would have gotten expelled because clearly Hammer had an axe to grind against a Wayne, so I think that's why he was a bit heavy-handed. Yeah. But that is not, you know, if someone were to read a tale in the olden days of Damien, there's no way he would have owned up to something that he didn't do. And so I think that, look at the character growth that we've seen with Damien. Yeah. And perhaps it's Maps's influence, just that he he had a fun time. Who knows? And so he wanted to protect her. But yeah, it's a nice little offshoot. And I think we just get to see him in a different light in this particular issue. And
1: I got to say out of, out of all four books, even though I've read the other three, I gotta say this was probably the most fun I I had oh. with the book. And I'm not just saying that just because A you picked it or it was it, <laughs> it was something that I came into that I that I bought, I paid two ninety nine for, bagged and boarded it and put it in my long box in the file cabinet didn't pull it out till now and kind of regretted never picking this up. So Jay Oz, you're probably listening right now going, Rob, you didn't read maps? Well, I'm I'm going to be reading more. So that brings us to an end and a close to the official end of the Robin 80th anniversary special. And Woo! I know this is the Tim Drake podcast, but I was really secretly <laughs> hoping somebody was going to pick a Damien book, and uh, I'm glad you did. And you probably remember this. It was probably, oh, sadly, a year ago, probably the last time I wrote into Batgirl to Oracle. I feel so bad. But there was a letter no. that I wrote that I was toying with starting a new podcast. And I had said, I think, in that letter that I was going to do a Damian Wayne podcast. And that podcast never got created. And what got created in its place was a Young Justice Podcast. So I don't know if you remember that at all. Probably probably not, but I, I had every intention. I, I had an outline of what the issues oh, were boy. going to be starting and everything like that, but I I just never got it off the ground. And reading this, I would have gone, oh, I don't, I probably would have left this out somewhere. I don't know if I would have done it chronologically, but uh, every now and then I still have the back of my mind going... Do I have a third podcast in me? Do I do a Damian Wayne <laughs> podcast? <laughs> but, but maybe this scratched yeah. that edge. So thank you, Stella, yeah. for picking these four books. And thank you for coming on to the show.
0: My pleasure. And thank you for asking me to be on your show. And I'm glad to continue to be the queen of counter opinions <laughs> and bring on a not liked or not very well liked Robin, so I'm glad I could. I'm just I'm only sad that I didn't represent the the girls and bring on Steph, but I had to pick my favorite Robin, right. so that's where well, I went.
1: If you are gonna represent the girls, uh where might the listeners if they want more Stella and they want more differing sides of the coin where can they find you online and what do you (laughs) have going on
0: Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So I'm getting better at (laughs) self-promotion. I I forget things all the time. So my main podcast is Back the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And I've just been tracing Barbara Gordon's history from the very beginning. And I am currently in 2001. And this month, which is December, my 200th episode will come out. And I am covering... (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I... Didn't intend it to be this way, but I happen to be covering Joker of Last Laugh, the two thousand one mm-hmm. storyline. And so My guests are uh, Sam Heath, who was a colleague of mine who loves the Joker, Mm. so I figured I might as well have someone who likes (laughs) Joker on there. Brian Q. Miller comes on to do some Cascade issues that don't correspond with Joker Last Laugh. Jordan B. Gorfinkel, who was the editor on Birds of Prey and creator of Birds of Prey, Mm. comes on and talks Birds of Prey 36 through 38. And then Scott Beatty, who was the co-writer for the story, comes on and asks some questions about the story itself, and then we do some tie-ins, the Nightwing, Robin, and Batgirl tie-ins. So that's 200, which is why it's so long. And leading up to it uh, every Tuesday and Thursday for the next two weeks. So really it's just for – I'm putting on the, the YouTube uncut stuff. So you can find me on YouTube, uh, Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I recently changed it. I didn't know if I got to change my <laughs> name. But those are just the uncut episodes. So when COVID started, I was using Zoom anyways, and I thought, oh, this could be fun. So I put the uncut video episodes on Zoom right away, and then you know I polish yep. it up for the That's audio, and those come out – the regular way, and you can find me on the Batman Universe That is Papa Papa Dustin mm-hmm. uh, is the the editor there, and I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Back the Oracle, and of course Facebook. You can find me, and then my other podcast that Rob mentioned is a literature podcast. And Tom and I, Tom Paneris and I, pick a book we alternate each month, and then we lead a discussion on it. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Self from the Two True Freaks Internet Radio. Network and we just put out this month Ethan Frome by Edith Wharton that I led and our that was 49 so our 50th is coming up and it's a special because we're going to have a guest on but we're doing a book that I despise Mm. I didn't like it the first time and then I had to reread it and now I actively hate it but it's 50 and you might I think you'll like the guest and I mean I'll probably be yelling at the guest (laughs) because he loves this book so it'll be dramatic so you can look for that I guess in January and we are required Reading on Twitter, so I think that's I think that's
1: it. I did it all well, and I forgot. I'm kicking myself, and I have a note, and I just saw it before I got ready to do the sign off. You were my Stephanie Brown in the radio drama for. Uh, oh, so yeah. I got to say, like I I can't remember what episode it was in Back to Oracle. You were talking about doing some acting, and I can't remember if it was. COVID that was like right around that time. Oh, yeah. So, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, Stella's, you know, acting. And, you know, I thought that was, was pretty cool. But I, I have to say like getting, putting that whole crazy thing together. And I think I, there was a couple people. I had Tom re-record a part. And, you know, when I wrote the whole thing out, I thought, oh, I missed a couple lines. And I think you were really busy. I think you had a trip that you either were going to or were coming back from and I was like oh I need a couple extra lines and you had this crying part on there and when I was like just hearing it raw for the first time I had my wife listen to it I'm like listen to this like i actually believe that stella is actually crying over the death of tim drake so now in person well as close to person as we can get i could say that was very moving i i had a couple comments like oh my gosh how did you get her to cry and i was like i don't know later that night in stephanie brown's apartment she begins to cry when batman enters the room spoiler the others are outside taking care of the scene. You weren't answering your comms. I wanted to make sure you were safe. I... I'm fine. Tim saved hundreds of lives tonight. He put the world before himself. Like he always did. Like the greatest heroes always do. He will be remembered for it. He chose this life, Stephanie. We all did. We know what the cost can be.
0: You don't understand.
1: Stephanie holds the acceptance letter from Ivy University. man sees that Tim was accepted to their school. Guilt comes over the dark night as he sees the new life that Tim left behind. Stephanie <laughs> begins to completely break down in Batman's arms.
0: Not Tim! Not Tim! <laughs> <laughs> man interesting i'll have to go back and re-listen to that it's all coming back to me and now
1: i did have a comment from you know the professor that says oh she
0: no she's just a
1: ham she's hamming it up that's that's overacting or or, or something along I those bet. lines
0: yeah that's why i call him professor Cheapskate.
1: <laughs> and he he did do a show and i think i would have to go back through and look at the episode but i think he might have taken a jab at you in that episode too i
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I bet he did.
1: <laughs> well,
0: this is what, what's fun about podcasting, I'm sure you is number one, getting to yeah. meet people like this or in real life. And then, yeah, building those bonds and and being able to have that camaraderie and and take jabs at people. Though sometimes I think because of how much I harass Donovan when he's not on my show that people probably think I'm really mean and don't like Donovan. But, uh, that's yeah, that's one of the best things about podcasting for so long is is the circle of friends that I've gotten to know and and do things with.
1: I think it opens up a a wider community and experience to start listening to other shows that you – may not have stumbled on anyway just because you connect with the guest or the host so that's been a a wonderful plus for for this show a being part of the Batman universe and getting to we've had Ian on the show and uh, on a satellite show and, and we've had Donovan on the show last year for Tim Drake's 30th anniversary And Josh had met the voice actor for Tim Drake for Young Justice and got him to send a line to me personally. I was like, and Josh was like, here you go, man. I thought you might like this. And just what a cool group that TBU is. And then branching out beyond that so getting to a meet you in person and then to finally have you on this show is a sincere honor and a pleasure and i i tell everybody that comes over to the drake house the door is always open the key is under the mat and you're welcome on the show anytime so definitely from the bottom of my heart thank you very much for not only coming on to the show but uh, putting a nice bow on the 80th anniversary celebration for robin so thank you very much
0: oh thank you
1: well folks that's where we're going to do it Uh, we are wrapping up the 80th anniversary Terrence and Ryan I do have one more 80th anniversary special for you so this month we will be releasing three Drake episodes for you guys so next week we got one more and then hey surprise it's Christmas so (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys next week on this show. Go check Stella's out. Her shows, they're wonderful. So on behalf of our special guest, Stella, this is Rob. You've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net, And more importantly, you've been listening to Everyone Loves the Drake and Damien. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so the boy becomes a man. Too bad it's short-lived. No, Tim!
0: You're not the bat. Never were, never will be.
1: Tim, get ready.
0: Sorry, kid. You can't do this all alone.
1: Let's get this sack of crap back to GCPD. We're not getting to that beach, are we? I think the honeymoon's over, Barb. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman related characters are in copyright of DC comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes. So no infringement is intended by this show. The show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respective copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at robineltdpodcast at yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at thebatmanuniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to thebatmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.
0: Damien is doing some training, and Maps writes Maps. <laughs> <laughs> Maps plus Damien in her notebook, which suddenly causes them to lock <laughs> hands inexplicably unable to release their hands damien doesn't believe in magic when she tries to explain and nah, that was weirdly phrased okay outside damien no hold on okay outside damien is going to oh,
1: okay here we go <laughs> now you see my <laughs> see problem I, of
0: course well you'll fix it oh i most. definitely okay will. <laughs>